Today we're going to look at uh, uh, the attribute of God that he is just, all right? There are two judgments that are talked about in the Bible that each human soul gets to enjoy. One of those judgments is the answer to the question, who is your Savior? Okay, that's going to be Jesus or various expressions of self-righteousness. And then we're not going to study that today. That is not the topic of conversation today, to be clear. The second question is, what did you do with your life? The only life you had. What, what choices did you make? And let's give an account to that. That's what we're talking about today. It's called the Bema Seat. It is, again, every person is going to get the joy to experience that as we come to truth. When I studied this, this attribute maybe 15 years ago, it gave me great peace. It, it, it settled my soul. It allowed me to sleep. Whenever I forget that God is just, I become very angry, bitter, resenting. So, it's been a great week for me to remember that. I'm coming today to help you find peace. Let's pray, and then we'll get started with our formal teaching. Yahweh is king. Let the earth rejoice. Be glad that he reigns as king. <clears throat> Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are his foundation, the foundation to his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his adversaries on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees this and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before Yahweh because Yahweh rules all of the earth. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us understand the fullness of your justice. I, Lord, I'd ask that you would help us be consoled by that, find peace with that, rest in the assurance of your justice. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In the play Hamlet, he's, he's having a conversation with the captain of the armies of Norway as they're asking for rite of passage uh, through Denmark to go into war with Poland. And so Hamlet asks, are, are you gonna fight like in the main heartland of Poland or just in the frontiers? And the captain says, actually, we're fighting for a piece of land that I wouldn't give $5 for, that you can't even farm. It has no value to Norway or Poland. And so Hamlet says, so Poland probably won't be defending it. The captain says, no, no, no. They've already mounted their army and they're ready for us. And Hamlet says this. He says, 2,000 men and countless amount of dollars have already been spent, and it's just the beginning of a pointless matter. So is the way of kings with too much money and too much peace. There are a lot of men. That's just a story in Hamlet. But as one scholar said, the history of mankind is the history of war. And there's a lot of stories just like that that are true, where a king or a czar, or a president, or a queen, or a Caesar who was bored, sacrifices millions, no, billions of lives have been spent on this endeavor, pointless endeavors. And not just lives, but even more men that have been maimed, 
physically or emotionally. Wait, the bill is still running. How about the widows that suffered for this? Or the children that don't have a father now? Or grandchildren? It just... (laughs) Meanwhile, the king stays in his palace, surrounded by walls, in a place of safety, wondering about his next endeavor. Where is their justice? We are supposed to be furious with the injustice in the world. We're supposed to be angered by some ruler of causing mass slaughter, growing old in comfort. Three gorgeous meals a day, right? The only activities that he does is just to keep himself in shape and not a worry in the world. Meanwhile, the victims of his decisions continue to roll up physical, emotional, spiritual, no justice, no justice. Let me make it more personal. Let me make it closer to home. You probably know of witness protection from television, right? Well, there's a thing called victims protection as well. And there have been members of our church that have been part of victims protection. And it's, it's, uh, it's a system that's used by our government to allow a person to just stay alive or to stay sane. And I would, I would like to tell you the details of what these women and men have endured, but I won't because of the children here. But the abuse and the prolonged torture and the multiple attempts on their lives are sure. I can tell you this. They all have great smiles because they don't have their own teeth. Some of them lost their teeth through violence and some, because of malnutrition, their teeth just fell out. And when you start over in a victim's protection service, you start from scratch with nothing. And one of the persons was involved in the medical profession. Uh, Ten years of advanced studies was wiped clean because when you get a new name, John Doe, you don't get the medical license with that. You start over. And so your life begins again. Their bodies, the most vulnerable organs inside of them, are permanently damaged. Connective tissue, it's like 30 years older than it's supposed to be. And dreams are lost of having children, of being a parent, of whatever it might have been, all at the hands of some scoundrel that enjoys the screams of another human being. Meanwhile, one of the predators is out on parole. Another one has a glorious view from a state penitentiary of the Rocky Mountains. There's no justice, not in this life. We demand justice at the end of the Second World War. We thought we'd do things different than the First World War, and we would would round up the authors of this horror story and bring them to account. And we brought them to Nuremberg, and we had a trial, and many were executed. But was that justice? Think Think about it. Hitler shot himself. Goebbels, Himmler, Goering, they all took cyanide pills. Was that an appropriate action or cost 
to match the miseries that they caused by stripping so many people and torturing them and sending them into gas to be buried in these huge graves, unmarked, would, would one cyanide capsule be enough so that they might taste their own medicine? No, because there's no justice, not in this life. And justice is an instinct that we have. It, it's, it's something that's part of our, our ingrained nature in the image of God. We cry out for a higher law a natural law, something that that comes before us that is above us. Eastern religions understand the need for justice and understand it can't happen in this life, and so they come up with the belief of karma where, oh, it's going to take a few lifetimes for this person to live with consequences. The Bible has a different answer. The Bible, when asked the question about look at all the injustice, here's how it responds from cover to cover. It says... Yahweh is just. The Bible says Yahweh is just. The Bible says the essential nature of God is to be just or righteous. He is incomparably righteous. And the people of the Bible, they, can, they, they brag about it and they confess God's justice like they do his love. <laughs> they talk about his justice because they cling to his justice like they cling to his love, because his love is just and his just is love. There will, be, there will be a final settlement for every human life. Never too much, maybe a little mercy, but no one will ever say that Yahweh is unjust. It can't happen. What justice means is simply that God honors human freedom. God honors human freedom. That's what justice is. It means that uh, the wicked will have consequences that match their decisions. It means that God will justly reward those who choose to live righteously. When you, can, when you combine the attributes we've looked at so far, uh, that God is ultimately wise, omniscience, all-knowing, and, and wise in that of every possible reality, when you combine his wisdom with his absolute justice and righteousness, it means right, that, that everyone will receive what they deserve, that he, he knows not just what we do, but why we do it. And while you, you know, we can fool each other and we can get pretty good at manipulation, that, that is not what we will experience in this final expression of a rendering of our life choices. God will reward good with good and evil with evil. This is the, what's called the best possible world. And in the context of the best possible world, it is people making decisions and then living with the consequences. It is in the consequences that God honors human freedom. So uh, um, in the context of in the story of Adam and Eve, when they are expelled from the Garden of Eden and then protected from immortality in that fallen state, God did not fail them in that context. He was honoring them and their choice. These are adults. Would, what kind of God would it be? What kind of parent would it be with adults that you would say, oh, you know what? 
let's do this over again. I know you made this mistake. You made a choice that I regret. Um, next time, I mean it. He, he doesn't say that. Life without consequences, it makes life absurd. It makes choices. Every choice you make is kind of like, a, nah, let it, you know, it doesn't matter. Consequences show the urgency of the choices that we make. So whether you're making a choice of should I marry this person or not, should I have children or not, should I allow this heart transplant or not, without consequences, it is on the same level as should I have worn black pants today or these gray pants. Doesn't matter. Life becomes trivial without consequences. The doctrine, it's called the doctrine of final judgment. The doctrine of final judgment does not have as its primary purpose, even in the top five, as to uh, motivate men and women to live on a super, I don't know, superficial level of righteousness. It, the, the doctrine of the final judgment is, to, is not to keep people within the curbs from hurting each other. The primary purpose of the doctrine of final judgment is to show the moral character of the holiness and the righteousness or the justice of God. It, 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 it is the moment where God shows himself to be just. The, the other purpose for the doctrine of final judgment is to show the moral significance of human life. It is to exalt that man is in the image of God and gets to choose and then live with the choice. There's a great quote from Bible scholar Leon Morris. The doctrine of final judgment gives meaning to life. The Christian view of judgment means that history is moving towards a goal. Judgment protects the idea of the triumph of God and the triumph of good. Judgment means that evil will be disposed of authoritatively and decisively and finally. Judgment means that in the end, God's will will be perfectly done. Justice is the love of truth. Justice is the love of all people. And so no wonder the Bible, in the Older Testament, in the Newer Testament, in the first few chapters, in the last few chapters, are talking about justice because God is just, God is love. And no wonder the Judeo-Christian worldview includes justice pervasively. The central, one of the central points of the whole Bible is this life is not the end. This is not where we finish things. And so it's not wrong for you and I to have a repulsive anger towards injustice. It is not wrong for us to be outraged at the savages of the world and think something must be done, and it must be thorough. All of creation cries out for the day of redemption. All of creation is crying out for justice, for truth, and for love all the time. Everything created knows things aren't right, and they need to be made right. Another great quote. This one's on the screen. If God be a just God, he will take vengeance. The wicked shall drink a sea of wrath, but not a sip one drop of injustice. At that day, all the mouths will be stopped, and God's justice shall be fully vindicated. Never too much. Maybe some mercy, but no one will ever say that God is unjust. Never too much. That would be cruel. Not a sip of injustice. 
maybe some mercy. If you look in the Bible at the very beginning, uh, you can see this intuitive sense that Abraham has that God must be, by definition, just and righteous. The, the story is when the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were crying out that God would please put a stop to this with his justice, and so he answers that. And he has a, a very tender conversation with Abraham. He has two angels with him, and he says to the angels, should I, should I be going on and doing what we're planning on doing without telling my friend Abraham? So he tells Abraham that he plans to destroy these two cities. And so Abraham knows firsthand, well-deserved the justice that they have coming to them. And then he, he stops and he says this. He says, will you sweep away the wicked and the righteous together? I have relatives there. Could I argue that you should suspend this judgment for now? And here, here's, here's, his, here's what he's thinking in his mind because he knows this to be true of, of Yahweh. He says, far be it from you, you know, God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put, righteous, put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the same as, as the wicked. Far, far be it from you that you would do that. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Oh, yeah, the judge... Of all the earth, he will do what is just. And this is a template to, on how to pray for, for justice and, and for mercy and for prolong, prolonging the justice until later. Abraham sees this. The idea that, that God is just is the very means by which he rules all the things he created. The concept of ruling as a king as a just king is throughout the Bible. Here's a, a psalm that exalts that. Listen for how he reigns. Yahweh reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. That's our response to a just God. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Let's find peace there. Yahweh loves those who hate evil. He guards the lives of those who are faithful to him. He rescues them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns for the just, joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in Yahweh, O you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Never too much, sometimes with mercy, but no created thing will ever say that Yahweh is unjust. God is just. Here's what justice could look like. Okay, this, this is a, a, maybe a snapshot of the doctrine of the judgment day. And I tell you this because I want to just, again, combine the idea of God's all-knowing and all-just. There's other attributes we could talk about, but I want you to listen so that you can stop meditating on the evil in the world that is unanswered. Some you know, as trivial as gossip and some as significant as world events, the five o'clock news, things that we don't even know about. And personally, these things make me boil. And I want you to see how this theme of God's knowing and justice can calm that need for something to be done. Here's the theme. The justice and love and truth, they demand 
that self-deception be unmasked. Truth and love and justice require the person giving an account for their choices that they could feel the impact of those choices. You see, (laughs) do you think Himmler or Hitler ever had a sleepless night because of the decisions they made? Oh, no. They, they, They might have had a restlessness because of a pee under their mattress, but not because of the screams or the smells of the battlefield or the gas chambers. They couldn't feel that. Justice, to be just, must be experienced. And so the shields of self-protection and conscience-numbing are taken down so each participant can enjoy the fullness of what they've chosen to do. This is love. I mean, let me, one person said, love wants what truth wants, and truth wants what justice wants. Love wants what truth wants, and truth wants what justice wants. Do you see how love and truth and justice are all connected? And so there's this obligation that the shields go down so that one might experience the fullness of humanity, of the human experience. Look, look just try to imagine... Um, a couple of examples. One is the idea of the worldwide heroin trade that goes on for hundreds, thousands of years, rather, I think. And, and the, the amount of, of, of individuals that are involved in the heroin trade, the layers of people that are involved in that, and the, and the hundreds of millions of people that have been poisoned by that, just that one drug, and then the lives of the people that are connected to the people that have been poisoned, the, the parents and the children. There's, there's, a, there's a long list of people that are involved in that trade. Um, think of the, the thousands of positions that are necessary for the prosperity of the sexual slave trade that's going on right now, from the lowest levels to the politicians and the corrupt police officers and those sorts of people. All of those people, each one of those villains, would face the millions of people that they have violated, but the ears of their souls are wide open. Their eyes of their hearts can see everything that they've done. As the people come to them and they say, because of your lust for power, because of your need for money, You did this to me. And they would have to feel it. Every Caesar, every king or queen, every president or czar would have to face the millions of people that were killed, the wounded, both emotionally and physically. Then the family members of those men and women. Then the friends... (laughs) of those people that they destroyed. And each one of them in grief and in anger would speak to that soul and say, this is what you did. And if you're thinking, this is going to take a while, this is, it's outside of time. When we talk about eternal judgment, it's not talking about everlasting judgment. That's a different thing. Eternal means independent of time. And so that's not an issue. And so there's no hurry here. 
So it's case by case, injury by injury, wound by wound, misery by misery. And listen, there's no growing callous. Every confrontation is a new one. It's, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the eternal closing of life's accounts, right? Closing of the account. When you go to a hotel, right, you stay there a couple days and you go to the front desk and they say, let's close out your account. These are the choices you made. This is what it will cost. You probably didn't think a Coca-Cola would cost that much, but you should have looked, okay, right? So, but it, the point is, it's just, it's true, it maybe is loving, but that's what, that's what we're referring to here. I mean, justice and truth, it makes this idea of God knowing all things and experiencing the justice of all things and then having to fully feel that without being protected, that just makes sense to close out accounts. But not just justice and truth, but love too. Love too requires this because, I mean, it's simple, right? The love of the, the victim if you love the victim, you want them to be able to express to a listening ear. But, it's the, but listen, it's the love of the, uh, of the perpetrator as well. It's, it's love of the evildoer because it is, it is wrong to be self-deceptive. It is evil. It's not true to be this way. It, and so when people in their vanity or their pride wrap themselves in a cocoon, right, so that they can cushion themselves from the reality of their choice, they need to be broken free of that. And, and Christians, they, they wrap themselves sometimes in Jesus talk, and they insulate themselves in spiritual values so that they cannot experience the fullness of a confrontation. That's done away with. That can't happen. Because real love, it's robust. Real love says, wake up, soul. You need to hear this. Take those blinders off. Come on. It's that time. The awakening itself is going to be very painful for many people. To be unprotected by pride and vanity and other motives. So, right now, do you feel a sense, a deeper Tranquility, because things will be dealt with, maybe at a level that you didn't appreciate before, maybe at a complexity that you didn't fully appreciate. Do you think maybe that God's, Yahweh's justice will be better than one that you could even imagine? I hope so, because it will be. And the, the point is that you are to find, because of the justice of God, because of his commitment to truth and love, he'll take care of this. And you should find yourself meditating on the attribute of God that he's just and find yourself at rest. No need to, blood, to boil your blood. Can you see, it's because of this attribute of God, the justice of God and the righteousness of God, that it was required, not optional, that Jesus would have to suffer and then die. You see, he had to answer to his own nature of being just for if he was if it, to, to, to allow forgiveness to take place. He can't just let it pass. 
<laughs> that's not choices with consequences. That's not appeasing, right, his truth. And so that's why in Romans chapter 3, it says God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did it to demonstrate his justice. He had to, he had to be just and so he had to take this, the atonement means cover over, and he can't just cover over willy-nilly. He had to, he had to sh- do this to demonstrate his justice to who? He had to, to every human being that will ever exist, and to every angel, every demon, that he will not compromise, that no one can, no one can ever say that, that God is not just. And so when you start and you think about this, Think about how it was satisfying the justice of God, the brutal torture before the death of Jesus Christ, even the methodology of the execution of Jesus, right? All of that was taking place to pacify the justice of God. If you saw it on the Passion of Christ, you can appreciate this. Every whip, every strand, every piece of glass, every shard hitting him, never too much. That would be cruel. Never too much. And so Jesus took every bit, but not more. That would be cruel. That would be unjust. But sometimes mercy, not this time, no mercy. Never more, this time with no mercy, so that no one, no person, no man, no woman, no child, no demon, no angel would ever say that Yahweh is unjust. There's a saying, the history of man is the history of war. There's also a belief that the history of Yahweh with mankind is found in the hub of that, Romans 3.26. This is how all of life makes sense. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his justice, synonyms, at the present time so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He showed every created thing that he was both just and the justifier. All of the attributes of God are best displayed in the life, the torture the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but no attribute is displayed quite like the attribute of God's justice. It was God's justice that sent him here. It was God's love, Yahweh's love, that put him on the cross. He is just and he is love. We are to love and enjoy and brag about the righteousness of God and the justice of God like we cling to the love of God. This is supposed to be the comforting attribute that lets us sleep at night. He will bring all things into account and all motives will be evaluated. And so the Bible says, therefore, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I, I have this. You see, when we find ourselves meditating on retribution, when we find ourselves daydreaming about how to get back at someone, either physically or through gossip or something, when we find ourselves embittered with unresolved anger, what we're saying is, you're not doing this, Yahweh, 
the way you ought to be, I'll do this. You're doing it wrong or not fast enough. And there's a reason that's called sin. But before he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, the passage in Romans chapter 12 says, as much as it's up to you, just be at peace with all men. Why? Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's pretty easy to, or it's easier, I'm sorry, it's easier to be at peace with men when you just realize that he's got this. And just only taking into account two attributes, his wisdom and his justice, makes this final judgment far more complex and sophisticated but thorough than most of us could imagine. He's going to be just fine ruling as the king. God is all-knowing. He's wise. He sees it. And he is true. And so that'll be found out. And he's just. And every choice will have a consequence. Nevermore, sometimes with mercy, but no created thing will ever say that Yahweh is unjust. You can find peace there. Safety. You can find rest in this attribute of God. God, Yahweh, he's just. Let's pray to that end. The heavens proclaim his justice, and all the people behold that glory. All the worshipers of evil, they'll be put to shame. All the gods of violence will bow down before him. Zion hears and is glad. The towns of Judah, they rejoice, so do we, because your judgments, O God, are true. Yahweh, you are the most high above all the earth. You are exalted in justice. Yahweh loves those who hate evil. He guards the lives of his faithful. He rescues them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns on justice and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in Yahweh, you who are just. Give thanks to his holy name. Lord, I confess that I doubt this more often than I believe it. Because I, I live with so much rage. And I, I'm grateful for the many passages and promises that declare this, this doctrine of getting things wrapped up. Lord, I'd ask that at least my soul, the souls of the people here, would find consolation and rest, peace and tranquility in the thoroughness of your justice. Give us that peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.